My name is Andy Horning, and this is Elephant Talk. It's a show about all things relationship, the soulful, the silly, and the sexy. Joe and Jacob have what many consider a typical relationship. They met, dated, married, and now have a newborn baby. But underneath it all are layers of insecurity, apprehension, and distress. For you, there's there's a lot to gain in being out all of the time. And, and for me, I perceive a loss a lot of the time in how people perceive me and how they treat me. And, and so it doesn't always feel worthwhile or safe for me. I don't want to minimize the impact on you when I share who I am. So I think that's, that's a tension that I think will be throughout our lives. Their story touches on the evolving vocabulary, the evolving terms and definitions regarding gender and regarding sexual orientation. This is a whole new world, and there are no right terms or wrong definitions here to describe someone. Each person has their own experience and preference of how they want to be identified. People are under the incorrect assumption that if somebody doesn't identify as like male or female, that there's some problem and they're looking to get surgery and hormones and all that. It's not necessarily the route somebody's gonna take at all. But let's say that, that if somebody is having distress with their not feeling aligned with the gender that they were assigned at birth, that's what I mean by dysphoria. In the second half of the show, I talk with Carol Clements, a professor and practitioner of contemplative psychology. We discuss the origin and usefulness of terms such as cisgender, heteronormative, gender binary, and gender dysphoria. So we went for a hike, and, and I surprised you, I think, which surprised me, because <laughs> I remember you had said, wait, is this for real? After I asked if you would marry me, um, I said, it's not a ring pop. And we went out and celebrated after we got engaged. And then a day or two later, you said, okay, I think it's, it's time for us to let my parents know that you're trans. And I wrote them a letter. And another day or two later, uh, we got a response from each of your parents, one from your mom that said, well, your, your transgender does come as a shock, but, you know, gender is not important. We still laugh about that because just the way that she used transgender and will say, well, where is my transgender? I can't find it. Um, and then your dad had said, never a dull moment, love you both, um, which was actually a huge relief to me just because your dad is a six foot for ex-lawyer conservative from Texas and wasn't sure how he's going to handle having a, a future son-in-law who's, who's transgender. Yeah, so my parents loved you, and early on, um, my mom made the statement of, finally give you the baby you've always wanted, which you like to joke I that you did. did. <laughs> <laughs> Just but, in a different way than they had imagined. Yeah, I had been out myself for um, like six years. Like I came out when I was 30, and... I think that they were all excited that I was with a man again. So that was part of why I really wanted to tell them. And you wrote a beautiful letter to them. I think you just really pointed out how you being transgender is a part of you and doesn't really change anything about who you are as a, as a person. It's an important part of who you are, but it's not your entirety or doesn't define you. Part of my reason for sharing that information with them was, was so that they could 
know me better and so I wouldn't have to edit my stories and so I could be more open with them as, as we got to know each other over the years. And I did highlight that I really loved their daughter and, and that I thought that was the most important thing, that, that we were going to create a life together. And then when we were getting married, there's a ton of people, especially on my side of the family and who still today don't know that you're trans. And so, but that first dinner that we had where we introduced your parents to, to my dad, I was just terrified that he was going to screw up because I hadn't talked to your parents yet. I think that's another piece around how we talk about our relationship and our identities. And early on, it was, I think, a bigger source of tension, but one that we've worked through and keep working through. When you and I were first dating, I had just decided to become a mental health therapist after being uh, an academic. And in my professional life, I had been very out. It was part of my professional identity. I felt like I needed to be visible to students. And so I kind of went into our relationship making some assumptions that weren't true. Remember early telling a friend that you were trans and that was a, a violation of um, you telling your own story. To the point of this is like how we each have our own story and then we have a shared story and over time figuring out how to navigate that a little bit better. When you met me, I was still fairly early into my transition and fairly new to being read as male all of the time. I got a lot of those really invasive questions by the time we met, I was ready to just sort of be in hiding and I was ready to just live my life just as a man, not as a trans man first. And so I think when you had shared that information with your friend, um, she had asked me a few questions about it after that. And I was kind of like, well, I, I, I would like to be able to decide who and how that information is shared. For me, I also needed to acknowledge that my story is, is now part of your story as well. We've had to learn how to share that information with people because you are more open than I am. You know, I've chosen to, to live my life with you, and that's part of accepting you and honoring you is knowing that you appreciate openness in your relationships. Oh, I, I love it when you tell more of your own story, and I don't think it's that often that you do so. For me, it's not that I feel that I'm withholding, and it's certainly not my intention. I, I just expect that people aren't interested in my stories. Work to not take up space, but I hear that you would like for me to, to take up more space sometimes. Um, for you, there's there's a lot to gain in being out all of the time, and, and for me, I perceive a loss a lot of the time in how people perceive me and how they treat me, and, and so it doesn't always feel worthwhile or safe for me. I think people generally still perceive it as a very new thing where it's definitely not, but it's still not mainstream by any means. I think another major thing that's come up around having a kid together and people make the assumption that, you know, everyone's all the time talking about how our baby looks like you. And my tendency would be like, actually, we had to go through this whole thing with fertility and use a donor and that totally outs you. And I had no idea what it was going to be like to have this like baby grow in my body and come out of it and then have like the breastfeeding thing and how that impacts all sorts of things about who she's with. But I think that's been difficult. Sharing with someone that I'm not my kid's biological father is, is a vulnerable thing. You maybe gain connection through sharing that, whereas for me it feels like a loss. People look at me differently or talk to me differently about it and think of me differently and... It doesn't feel like a happy thing for me to be 
open about generally. Growing up not being able to be who I was. There's some of that that feels like it happens because of, again, I, I don't want to minimize, but the impact on you when I share who I am. So I think that's it's a tension that I think will be throughout our lives. I think that's a strength of ours, though, to, to be able to take a step back from our own story to listen to, to the other person's and to try to see that we might be able to find some sort of compromise or way of being that is okay for both of us. I really regret that having this child, I think I got super, super self-centered and was very surprised at the urge that I had that I was no way rational to have a second kid because I had been like one and done all the way. And then we had her and the day after this traumatic C-section, I'm like, I see why people do this again. And you were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That threw me for a loop. I was really, really insensitive. I was really in a self-centered moment and I regret that. And I would love to know more about your experience of being our baby's father um, and such a wonderful father and having to deal with all the social pressures, assumptions around the biological father or whatever, right? I mean, first, of course, I want to say, like, I love this sweet baby, but I don't wish for a moment that that were any different. When we started, you had said, I I don't ever want to do IVF. We're just going to try it. If it doesn't work, so be it. So we're nearing that sixth try, and then you started talking about IVF. And you were noticing some resistance from me because I was like, "Eh, it's really expensive. I thought we were just going to do six tries and be done and for me that was a, a big deal just and I had said you get to have this thing potentially that I never get to have and if we adopted we would be on the same page with this kid and then you got pregnant but then after we had the baby and you started saying well I desperately want this biological connection again I want to have this baby inside of me and I want to be able to breastfeed and and I don't want to adopt and I think that's been painful for me I don't get to have that biological connection with any kid. I didn't know that trans people existed. I didn't know it was an option until I went to college, Uh, but it didn't feel like a choice per se. Choosing to take hormones, choosing to have surgery was definitely a choice, but I certainly did not choose to feel that my gender did not match what was assigned to me. And so I think I struggled with that for a long time. I do remember one day somebody showed me a photography book by Lauren Cameron called Body Alchemy that, that shows pictures of female to male transgender people who before and after their transition process. And that to me was like this moment of, oh, I think that's who I am. But even after that realization, I struggled for a long time because my family struggled with it and and I had to sort of weigh out if I might lose my family over this, is this worth it? Is it worth it to create a life for myself where I might be ostracized by my family, by my community? But I finally just got to a point where I was like, this is, this is all I can think about. And also just stop being fearful. I was very much living in this gray area where I didn't know when I went to the grocery store, if I was going to be perceived as male or as female, and, and that created a lot of anxiety for me. And, you know, I had been kicked out of bathrooms and 
faced some harassment in various different places and just got to a point where I was like, I don't think I can take this anymore. I need to choose a life where I'll be able to feel some freedom and, and just exist and not have to fight all the time. What I appreciate so much about the way you talk about your stories, I think there's this dominant narrative in our society that someone like maybe assigned male declares, I'm a girl, and that that's like what happens. And that's not the case for so many people. You know, when I first told my family that I was going to start hormones, my brother said, you know, I just, I don't get it. You're not depressed. You're not suicidal. Why would you do this? And I said, you're right. I'm, I'm not those things. And that's good. And I just think that I'm going to be happier and more confident and feel freer in life. And I, I need to choose that for myself right now. Like so often questions go to what's under people's clothes and how are they having sex? And How many surgeries have I had? It's private medical information that people are asking for. And for some reason, people seem to think that it's okay to ask that about a, a trans person. Right, but definitely information that would otherwise, for most people, I think be really intrusive or invasive. Like most people I don't think would be like, so how do you have sex when you what go home What do your genitals night? look like? <laughs> yeah, what do your genitals look like? <laughs> so one of my mom's questions was if he had some sort of prosthetic In penis. That's right. <laughs> Just making the point that as if people notice that, as if people go around looking at... She said, well, sometimes you can see a man's penis through his pants. And when I said, yeah, but if you don't, do you assume that he has a vagina? I mean... <laughs> Respond to this <laughs> negatively. <laughs> there was so much that I identified with in my own marriage with some of the things that Joe and Jacob, they were working through in their marriage. And yet there's so much more nuanced and complicated things that they had to deal with as they uh, navigate this world of being out in the open on some things and yet very hidden and unknown around other things. There's so much there to learn about how others show up in the world. And I'm grateful for their courage to sit down and be recorded in their conversation about their relationship. For many of us, we are still or just learning what it means to identify as transgender, as queer, or as gender fluid. Carol Clements is a professor of contemplative psychology at Naropa University and a practicing contemplative psychotherapist. Carol's research and her work focus on issues of relationships, sexuality, and gender. How would I say gendering is happening all the time? I don't think any of us used to be so conscious of it. People who are cisgendered, which means we identify with the, the sex we were assigned at birth, there was a privilege and has been a privilege to that. So just to slow down a bit, mm -hmm. I mean, the idea that I'm privileged because I identify with the sex I was born, the gender I was born into? Right. If a person is pregnant, what we tend to ask them, oh, boy or girl, often we're curious, what are you having? And so right there, we're actually gendering. That's the process of gendering. So in, in relationship science, the, um, the 
terms are instrumental and expressive, so that there are instrumental traits, which are the kind of doing traits, the getting things done, that have historically been associated with what it means to be male, right? Where the emotion, the receptivity, which again are expressive traits, are, have been historically associated with what it means to be female. And those have been kind of the two roots that we get, which have actually hurt everybody, mm. I would say. Yes. Because gender is essentially, it's a construction. So it'll, it will be referred to as, it's a social construction. We could say, okay, there's a penis, what we call a penis, what we call a vagina or a vulva. I mean, that's what we're seeing. But there, that's all, right? And what's interesting is that it's homologous tissue, actually. So they all come from the same. So when you say homologous, you mean? It comes from the same. They're the same tissue. So the origin is the same. It's all the same Uh, until about six weeks. I see. Developmentally. That's right. So there are structures in what we would typically call a male body and structures in what we would typically call a female body. And the tissues are homologous. And the, the genitalia, it's homologous. It's coming from the same place. Yeah. I mean, what's what's been your experience around people responding to this whole movement around gender? I can actually remember the first class I was teaching in erotic intelligence where I really brought this into the curriculum, right? It was like front and center. And I remember one of my students who now is in such a different place with it all, but at that time, so identifies as male and was very angry, actually, and said, so if I want to be an elephant... Do I get to say, I'm an elephant? And how did you respond? I said, do you feel like an elephant? Is that actually your experience? And he said, well, you know, and I said, I, you actually need to think about that. Because someone who is struggling, who does not identify with the gender they were assigned with, they experience what, what would be called gender dysphoria, potentially, like a quality of distress, actually. So they, don't, they really don't feel that way. They feel how they feel. And so I said, if you feel like an elephant, I will support you being an elephant. When we have privilege, we actually can feel it being taken away. And that's a very frightening thing. And he was able to acknowledge kind of his cisgender male privilege, right? That was being threatened a bit. Like as a man who's also identifies as heterosexual, attracted to women... He didn't exactly want his experience of being a man or being attracted to a woman to go away. And it doesn't need to, of course. But it was somehow threatening. It was threatening in that moment. How would you identify privilege? So there's a quality of a lack of awareness that I'm able to do things maybe more easily. It's assumed that I get to walk down a street without being looked at derogatorily or being being called a name where there are other people who actually may not have that privilege. When I think about privilege and what gets so difficult about the topic is that people can actually feel very bad about having privilege. And it's not bad, it just is. I want to go to cisgen cis male Cis female, cis male? Right, right. So it's cisgender. Cisgender. Right? And that, and that because we assign, our society assigns male or female at birth, you would identify as a cis male or cis female. Where did that term come from? So cis means on the side of. 
So meaning I'm on the side of um, or I relate to the gender I was assigned to at birth. Like there feels like a compatibility in that way. So then... What's the non-cis, or how how do you... uh, So there are a few different ones. So queer could be a term, right? And and what would that refer to? Queer would mean, I don't actually choose... I don't choose that binary, for example. I'm beyond some binary form, right? I don't relate to gender in a binary way. And the other term would be transgender, which may be somebody who experiences not the gender they were assigned as, but potentially kind of the quote-unquote other gender. The, the interesting thing about terms and definitions in this arena is that there isn't a right way. So you really need to kind of find out from the person what term, like how they identify, and what their experience of it is. I know this has become now part of an introduction. Uh-huh. Here are my pronouns, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. Is that... Yeah. This is a... A, a evolving world. Yes, always. It's very... Fluid. Very fluid. So I think they're being created all the time. Some people actually prefer um, not pronouns. Like, my pronoun is my name, for example. Some people say, oh, Carol would be my pronoun. Others would say maybe they, them, theirs. Um, Zizir, you know, X-E, X-Y-R, for example. We're learning. So there was a researcher, Lisa Diamond, who did an interesting study. It was actually with people who identified as female, as women. She was curious about how fluid their sexuality was or if it was, if it stayed the same way throughout a lifetime. And what she found out was that sexuality, um, similar to what Kinsey said years ago, that there's a continuum, a heterosexual, homosexual continuum, right, that we're not like one way or the other. other. And Lisa Diamond's more recent research talks about sexuality being quite fluid, that it changes, you know, Mm. it can actually change. Over time. Over time. Yeah. Part of what, as I've learned, is Mm -hmm. that people often confuse gender with a sexual preference. Yes, correct. So one kind of maybe simple way to think about it is who I want to go to bed as or who I go to bed as and who I want to go to bed with. Oh, that's good. Just like, right, real simple. And that gender is the first, who I am, Yeah. right, who I go to bed as, and then who I want to be with. That's a whole different, like, maybe what I want to do and who I want to do it with is is more in the sexual orientation. Well, I mean, it's almost sexual orientation versus sexuality. Those the, are, the, again, two different things. Is this the new uh-huh. norm that the, uh-huh. the vocabulary is so evolving? Right. I mean, I think my hope would be, um, and maybe my own experience, is that the more we talk about it, the more we become kind of familiar with distinguishing gender from sex, from sexuality, from sexual orientation, like, and the more we become equipped being with nuance and difference, the less we'll strive to go to these binaries, homosexual, heterosexual, male, female, you know, it's like, yes, no, right, wrong, good, bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've begun recording couples having a conversation together Mm -hmm. who, where one of them has 
transitioned. Uh Do you have a sense of how those couples navigate the world? Does that cause stress on a relationship? You bet it does. So in my own work as a therapist also, I've seen couples who one is choosing to go through transition. And I think that the ones, the, the couples that I've worked with, most of them have not known stepping into the relationship that that would happen. It can and often does cause stress in, in different ways. Let's say you have two people who have identified as um, lesbians. And let's say one of those persons um, learns over time, like they might feel something is off, you know, or like something just isn't right. They might not have had language for it, um, or they might have known and never shared it. But let's say over time what evolves is that I'm, I actually feel more male. Like actually what has been happening to me is kind of a gender dysphoria. Like or even before I feel more male, it might be I don't feel right in this whether that's in my body or just the identity. And when you say dysphoria, Mm -hmm. what do you mean? There is the notion that somebody can have the experience of not relating to the gender that they were born into, you know, that was assigned at birth, and not actually feel a lot of distress around that, feel pretty clear, and then they may choose to um, just identify as another gender or not any binary, you know, just kind of, they might be fine and be fine with their body the way it is. So people are under the the, um, incorrect assumption that if somebody doesn't identify as like male or female, that there's some problem and they're looking to get surgery and hormones and all that. It's not necessarily the route somebody's going to take at all. But let's say that that if somebody is having distress with their kind of this not feeling aligned with the gender that they were assigned at birth. That's what I mean by dysphoria. And boy, when a world doesn't understand what you're experiencing, the likelihood of you having more distress, you know, of you experiencing distress is just naturally higher. By that definition, the things that couples in those kinds of relationships, that's just a lot more to deal with. I actually think, potentially, it offers the opportunity and the gift to allow your partner to be who they are and to be other than you and other than your expectations of them. That brings a rise up in a lot of partnerships. And so I think there's something very powerful. It's almost like takes a dynamic that exists in all relationship, which is sort of where do you end and I begin yep. and how similar are we? Yeah. And it sort of says, we're going to deal with this yeah. front and center, yep. such a big way yeah. that we can't ignore this yep. elephant in the room yep. and we're going to tackle it. And so I see that gift. Yeah. And it can be challenging as gifts can be. For example, Couples who I've worked with who, let's say, have gone through the process of being lesbians in a culture that can be still homophobic, and so that they've had the process of coming out. So then let's say you have that, um, and one of the partners begins transitioning into male, identifies as male. So then you've got the interesting conundrum, well, wait a minute, I'm not heterosexual. 
says the other partner, who, wait a minute, this doesn't feel okay. Right. And I haven't been attracted to men. And so now you're what's going to happen yes. to my attraction to you? It can be a loss. Well, geez, I have known you this way, or I've been attracted to you kind of with this body, and your body actually might start changing, and, I, and I'm, I feel a little bit of loss, right? Which can then be hard for the person who's transitioning because, well, but this is who I am. But I've seen actually the couples I've worked with work it out. And wade through that. And become so much more open to who humans can be. It does seem like there's a fundamental shift here that is happening and that still needs to happen. What's the thing you'd want to say most to, say, our legislators or Mm. a community of people that don't get it? It's not what you think. Get curious. And particularly legislators, policymakers, it really is all about relationship, actually, in some fundamental way, because they're representing humans. Let's get curious and keep the question alive, again, as opposed to trying to, like, okay, now we have male, female, transgender. Okay, got that right. We have an answer. We've got it all categorized. Okay, I can relate. Yeah, and let your mind pop. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, it'll, it'll come back together in some way. So you're doing good work. Well, I'm having fun. Like I'm re- like I'm loving it, I have to say. Like it is my Like what makes you love it so much? We're all grappling in our imperfections and and I hope we learn to keep them. Because again, the societal thing is like we have to reach some kind of perfect state, you know, where we're categorized and it's clear and we can all relax and I think it just comes back to that increasing our capacity for who we can be and how we can express and allowing other beings to be who they are. And for me, like the more, I don't know, I think I came into the world with that thirst. That was Carol Clements. You can learn more about her research and her curriculum by visiting Naropa University at naropa.edu. Thank you to Joe and Jacob for sharing their story. Please visit our website for additional resources, advocacy groups, articles, and recommended books and films about gender identity. Also, join the conversation. Let us know what you think about today's show and about other episodes by sending us a comment through our website, elephanttalk.org, or through Facebook or Twitter at elephanttalkpod. Our producers are Lisa Gray and Kim Paletti. Our theme music is by Rob Berger. Audio production assistance provided by Leslie Gaston Bird and Josh Kern. If you'd like to share your story, send us comments, talk to us, or even if you'd like to become a sponsor, visit us at elephanttalk.org. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. And also review the show. Your feedback is incredibly important and it's greatly appreciated and it helps us get the word out there about Elephant Talk, the show. I'm your host, Andy Horning. This is real love. This is Elephant Talk.